Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people whose land we broadcast from every single week here on Race Matters and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We're immensely privileged to be speaking to you from Redfern, a place of strength, resistance and refuge for so many and the birthplace of black theatre in this country. Stories have been shared here for over 65,000 years before us and will continue to be shared long after us too. This is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're tuned in to Race Matters. Hello, my name is Tanya Ali. I'm the executive producer of the show, and I'm very excited to introduce this week's conversation, which doubles as the beginning of our From the Vault series. So if you're a longtime listener, you may know that while this iteration of Race Matters kicked off at the beginning of this year, Race Matters history extends a little beyond just 2019. We actually started as a segment on FBI Radio's breakfast show, Up For It, back in April last year. Every Wednesday at around 8.15 in the morning, I'd get stuck into a little bite-sized chat about race, representation and pop culture, often with a guest. In August, we welcomed a rotating dream team to take over as hosts, Georgia Mokak, Ryan Clapham, Sara Khan and Darren Lasagas. Race Matters as a segment continued all through till the end of 2018. And then this year, we came back in a bit of a different format as a half hour program in our own right, which is what you're listening to right now. We had some pretty amazing guests on in the early days of Race Matters and some pretty incredible chats too. Over the next few months, we're going to reshare them with you on our podcast feed. So keep your ears peeled for chats with Michelle Law, Avani Diaz and more wherever you get your podcasts. But to kick things off, we've dug out one of my favorite past Race Matters chats. It's one between Darren Lasagas, Ying Di Yin and Justin Tam. Around this time last year, a little movie called Crazy Rich Agents came out. It was kind of blowing up and Darren Yingdi and Justin went and saw it together and they had a really beautiful, funny and insightful conversation about it, Asian identities and pop culture and the way they shape representation more broadly, which you're going to hear in a moment in its entirety. You can think of this as part one of a conversation that's going to continue next week when Darren brings Ying Di and Justin back to Race Matters to talk about the acclaimed comedy drama The Farewell, directed by Lulu Wang and starring Okafina. It's a heartwarming story about family, diaspora and the complexities that lay within that. So stay tuned for that chat next week. But for now, let's dive into this one from The Vault. My name is Darren Lasagas and we have a couple of very special guests in the studio with us. We have Ying Di Yin, a Hong Kong Australian, a publicist, actor, and writer who works at the Sydney Opera House in the contemporary music space. And we also have Justin Tam, a Hong Kong Australian, a writer and a musician. He's the co-founder of Eternal Dragons, which is a pan-Asian artist collective working across design, performance, and music for Asian artists based in the West. He also produces music as Seekin, and his album is out on Eternal Dragons very soon. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Thank oh, you. And us. Absolute pleasure. So this show this segment is about race and representation. Um, we are, or we all identify as Asian Australian, a movie that's been hot on the lips of many 
um, Asians in Australia and across the world. It's been out for a little while now, let's be honest, but it's called Crazy Rich Asians. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it basically is a rom-com set in Singapore, modern-day mm-hmm. Singapore, follows the love interests, trials and tribulations of living in Singapore as, I guess, a young person trying to navigate family values, work, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had all seen it as a group because uh, we know each other outside of radio. And um, I guess we kind of went in trying to understand and decipher the ways that Asians have been represented represented in the media. How did you guys find the film? Sometimes you go into a movie just wanting to hate it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, I think we all expected to dislike it because we we'd heard so much about it. We read so many articles surrounding it. It was a real buzz topic. Yeah, Asian American um, activist Twitter was kind of going at it a know, little bit. Absolutely, and it, I think one thing we all disliked about what the discourse was around it was that. There's a film finally that's representing every Asian person out there, which is impossible. And I think that was the main thing I disliked about the discourse. But once I watched it, I really enjoyed it. It's essentially a, a rom-com. You could replace it with any culture and everyone could relate to it. It's just it's the fact that all the, you know, the details were of Asian across so many different areas. American, Asian Americans, Asian English, mm. Asian Singaporean. Um so mm. I, I really enjoyed it. I definitely related to quite a lot of, of it, but there were some things that were unfamiliar to me, but um, I could draw. My experiences were represented in in certain scenes to a certain degree. Justin, what had you seen on uh, Twitter that Asian-American activists had been um, detracting from the movie? Yeah, you know, Twitter has its little groups that like to get angry about things, and with, with good reason. Um there was a lot of um, people complaining about, you know, that it wasn't representing um, all the Asian stories, the breadth of Asian stories. Um, these are crazy rich people. Um, these aren't the Filipino helpers that you see in Hong Kong. These aren't the Indians, the Sri Lankans, the Nepalese that often get left out of the Asian kind of conversation because maybe they're not East Asian or they're not yellow by any standards. Um, so there was complaints that these people weren't being represented um, adequately in the movie. They were just helpers. They were just background people. Um, you know, they're, they're, this is not the first movie that has represented an Asian cast. Um, the Joy Luck Club always comes up. Better Luck Tomorrow. Um, Tokyo Drift is basically one of those movies as well. Um, but, you know, I guess we, we need more and more of these stories. Um, if East Asians can um, do that... We should do that. We should support that. Um, we shouldn't try and cut ourselves down. Who I, It's made me think a lot about who uh, labelled the movie as being representative of the Asian experience as a whole. Mm. Does the movie ever claim that it does that or is it uh, in the mouths of white Western people that are saying, well, this is a movie for Asian people by Asian people? Like, is, are, they being, are they using it to kind of serve their own purpose of being performatively woke or are we kind of battling against them or are we battling against the people who had made the film? Yeah, it's almost like that thing of, you know, a white person seeing it and saying, oh, they've done the Asian movie, tick, mm. you're good. Yep. Um, you know, when, when when the cast talk about it, when, when the director talks about it, they say, we're so happy that we have an all-Asian cast. Mm. That's kind of the message. Right. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I agree. And all the articles said, the first movie in 25 years since Joy Luck Club, there's an all-Asian-American cast 25 years is a very long time. Absolutely. To, to have an all Asian cast yet again. Mm. So I think people can draw f- 
from that and see that it's not all good and hopefully people aren't saying, we'll tick this off and it won't happen for another 25 years. Mm. So... Yeah. For the record, I, I, I'm uh, on the same boat as you guys. I love the movie. No, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could heave crying from where yeah. I was sitting. I was reacting to it yeah. very viscerally. Yeah. 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 I, think we shared, I think we shared tears at we some point. Did. They kind of rolled down yes. my arm and like yeah. it was just a moment. Michelle Yao. Oh, love amazing. Her. But then there were moments of like excessive wealth that brought me right out of it. Yeah. I was right. like, oh, Absolutely. wait. Million dollar earrings? I can't relate to those. Mm-mm. Right, right. Um, I'll put it on and I'll be empowered and I'll walk out and my life is great. Yeah, Mm. there is this amazing scene where uh, one of the characters is leaving her husband and the moment that she feels empowered is when she finally has the courage to put on her million-dollar earrings and walk out because she was so ashamed of them. And I, you know what? That's a construct that's real to her. Yeah, (laughs) Exactly. Probably unrelatable for about 70% of the people watching that film. I think what was most relatable to people who weren't uh, of Asian descent was the wealth that was represented in the film, which isn't represented in a lot of Asian cultures. Which I think is really powerful as well. Mm. I think they, if you, looking back, actually just thinking right now, that I think there was a lot of pride within even um, the storyline that the fact that they were the wealthiest family in Singapore, because, you know, I think a lot of, Asians in general, wealth has only really come to them in the past 30, 50 years. So in that respect, I love that as well. Well, I mean, really, the the I think the story of family was more important than the story of wealth. And any kind of Asian will know that, you know, your family goes, you know, your parents don't let you leave the house until you get married and get a mortgage. Um, apart from <laughs> us, we're lucky to kind of escape that thing. But... Um, you know, the, the 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 story talks about family more than it does wealth, and more more than it does about kind of um, this idea of being rich and entitled and doing whatever you want. Mm. Justin, uh, we mentioned this earlier that you are a co-founder of a collective called Eternal Dragons. You released your own music under that collective as well. Do you have anything new coming up? Yeah, um, just dropped a single this Monday, Hush with Alice Vicious. Um, she's kind of like a K-pop songwriter. Wrote a few boy band things but she's kind of on the down low sometimes. Um, and then the album is coming out at the end of November. Yeah. What's it going to be called? It's, it's called Skyline Death. It's actually about a car crash I had in my parents' Civic. It wasn't a Skyline, unfortunately. It can't be called Civic Death? Civic Death. It sounds like I went to sounds a, yeah. like a, 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 a Civic Centre in Hurstville and like just had an accident. Yeah, you know, right. Like, yeah, I, I just don't think that's appropriate. Yeah, some sort of, yeah, yeah I just like, casualty of democracy. You yeah, were feeling right. your Civic duty and you died on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, I just didn't, uh, yeah, something at the voting booth happened, I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess the point of Eternal Dragons is we all worked in creative industries. Eric, who works at Nike right now, is um, global head of design, and, and, and Angela works at Stone's Throw. Um, I mean, the reason why we created it was because we realised we were working in creative industries and everyone around us was white and we worked for white people. We kind of thought, why don't we just do it ourselves? We've kind of got the experience collectively. Um, so we try and represent Asian stories in the West specifically. Um, there are a lot of Asian groups out there which is so so good and it makes me so happy and um, groups of people of color Um, but to represent how we are in the western world australia america london i think that's a completely different story Um, and that's one that needs to be told as well Yeah. 
Justin, you uh, mentioned this uh, film earlier, Better Luck Tomorrow, and this idea that there's a difference between um, Asian representation and an Asian story. Right, right. Um, how is Better Luck Tomorrow an example of the difference between those two? I almost want to kind of backtrack and go out and say Howard and Kumar is the real Asian Australia, uh, Asian, Asian representation <laughs> That was the film. first movie I saw as a kid yeah. that the main leads were both Asian. Yeah, so yeah. True. My best friend in high school was, was, was Indian. Um, Did you guys get called Howard and Kumar in high school? We went to White Castle. We, Actually? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, is that a school? <laughs> um, Explain that one. <laughs> Better Luck Tomorrow is an interesting one, and I think a lot of Asians Australian kind of overlook it. My American, Asian-American friends told me about it. Um, it was released in 2002 by Justin Lin. He went on to do Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Um, it's about a group of kind of uh, nerds, basically. People who, Chinese kids, Korean kids who are good at high school, um, they screw up. Um, one of their friends gets in a lot of trouble. You know, it, it, it all goes wrong. Um, I, they, when they did a screening, when Justin Lin did a screening of this movie, um, afterwards there was um, a, a white guy who got up and he said, 
don't you have a responsibility, and, and I'm quoting, don't you have a responsibility to paint a more positive and helpful portrait of your community? Um, I think that's a really interesting illustration of how kind of uh, certain white groups will expect a certain story from Asians. If you want to do the Asian representation story, you have to be the good Asians. You have to show them in a good in a good way. Um, Roger Ebert actually snapped back at that guy in the audience and it's like, um, and he said, you know, let these guys do it. This is their story. This is theirs to tell. Um, you know, I'm an Asian kid who grew up with a lot of mass friends. Um, you know, I've had friends who have passed away because they've just screwed up because you know they were smart. Um, and they thought they could deal drugs or something, and then that became, um, and they thought they could be really good at it, um, and then they messed up. So I think this story kind of means a lot to me personally, but it's also, I mean, it, it just shows that there is m so many sides to this Asian story, so many sides to an Asian story. Yeah, when you showed me that and I looked up the video of that screening, mm. that was unbelievable <laughs> that someone could say it's that, I think. It's um, And it's love, well, I mean... I'm going to quote what he said when he snapped back because he said, yeah. Asian Americans, you could replace that with Asian Australians, characters have the right to be whoever the hell they want to be. They do not have to represent their people. Right. And I think that's a really important message because we're talking about here about representation and it is mm. important because it validates your experiences and it makes mm. you feel heard and um, seen. That's something I think we can all relate to growing up that there weren't many Asian um, actors or characters on the screen and that... I think subconsciously has an effect on you in a certain way, mm. but I also think is it it is our my responsibility to a certain extent, but it also is my responsibility just to be who I am and engage in the world as I am, not always linking it back. Well, I think that's the thing is it's actually still an Asian story. You know, mm. it doesn't have to look like dumplings, but it's still mm -hmm. your Asian story. Um, I think something that really um, rubs me the wrong way is kind of Asian artists who feel like it's necessary to put Chinese or Korean or Japanese lettering on their album covers. Um, that's great, but in a way it's self-fetishizing, you know? You're, you're telling people, hey, look at me, this is who I am, this is what I look like. You probably can't read Chinese like us, you know? I, I don't think it's worth throwing your identity away as an Asian Australian to pretend to be almost like a fake Asian. Yeah. Well, perhaps aren't they creating, for example, the use of using Chinese characters on their mm. album covers or whatever? Perhaps they're making that music for Chinese people and not for right. anyone else. And that's the kind of balance that... Yingde, you just kind of elaborated on um, that I have been feeling personally for the past few years because I feel like now's what we're like mid to early in the mid 20s. Now's the kind of time where you're kind of looking inward to understand what you want and who you are, kind of thing. And a lot of that for us in particular is finding the balance between our Asianness, our Australianness for um, others, for Yingde, I assume your gender identity, well, for all of us really, a mm. sexuality. And yeah, I find there's no answer. Like, there are moments where I'm like, I am this and I will put it in your face. Yes. And I will tell you that I am. Mm. And there are other times where I'll be like, this has nothing to do with it. This yeah. is just who I am kind mm. of thing. And I, it's kind of like bouncing between the two, between the multiple facets of our identity in which we find kind of turmoil and uh, confusion. Absolutely. Mm. I think growing up as well, I, I've i spoken about both of you as well. Growing up, I've, I've, I've taken that role, that token Asian, in so many different areas of my life and... Have always been proud of it, but as I got older and reflecting now, why do I always need to be the token Asian in so many situations and just to tick that diversity box, whether it's, you know, a, a job or definitely the acting side for sure. I've definitely had to, you know, I've been gone for roles and put forward for castings because I'm ticking that box and it's something that you have to, that's part of the, unfortunately, part of the game and part of that industry, but 
yeah, I'm, I, I definitely, I think as I got older, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not struggling. I'm thinking more deeply about where, what I will and won't take, um, whether it's, you know, correcting someone on an email and they spell my name wrong when it's really just right there that all you have to do is just copy and paste it or whether I don't want to be the token Asian or whether I don't want to always be known as Ying Di, who is Asian Australian. I just want to be known as Ying Di. So definitely it is a struggle of, there is a struggle of identity that I think as you get older, you, you don't realise until we're having these in-depth conversations that's kind of affected you in a certain way. Mm. Uh, as Asians, are we allowed to tell the Asian stories um, that are outside of the ones that non-Asians expect? Um, you know, I, it becomes very hard um, when you are playing to uh, an image of what an Asian story looks like. The example I kind of like to refer to is um, the movie Infernal Affairs, an old Hong Kong cop movie that was remaded as, as, as The Departed by Martin Scorsese. Leo DiCaprio was in it. It won four Oscars. Um, a lot of people will see that and they will never know where the original came from. I had no idea that it was based on no another idea. film. Right, right. About. And, and I mean, that's, that's whitewashing. Um, that's a success for whitewashing, you know, because it completely erased an Asian story um, without anyone knowing it was Asian. You know, this is a story that is very specific. My, my family, uh, um, I come from a lineage of cops in um, Hong Kong. My grandfather was a cop in Hong Kong. And there is, um, these are stories that are Asian stories. But to have it kind of like erased by Scorsese is not giving us a chance to do it ourselves. Um, I think, it, I think, you know, if Hollywood, and this happens all the time, I mean, Inception was based off a Japanese movie, Black Swan was based off a Japanese the movie. The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's not a ghost in the shell, it's just kind of mm. completely erase everything about, about it. But um, if we're not given the chance to kind of tell stories that are not ones that look Asian to white people um, and they keep getting rewritten, then we'll, we will never have a chance to kind of represent Asian stories. Mm. Can you repeat the question one more time? As Asians, are we allowed to tell our stories um, without them being written over, basically, or without telling the stories that people expect of us? Um, allowed by who? I guess white people. I just feel like if I'm going to create something, I'm not going to seek permission to mm. do it. Well, I just think about the kind of the 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 structures that already exist. So, you know, if I'm going to Hollywood and pitching a film, you know, that's great. But, you know, maybe it's a movie about Chinese people. Make it a bit more Chinese. Mm. Um, I've had this with albums as well, you know, pitching it to people and they'd be like, oh, well, I mean, you know, you're Asian, aren't you? Well, why don't you, have you worked with Keith Ape? Have you considered working with this person? And it's like, mm, okay, right, this is this is the, the one association you make. Have you considered using this Chinese instrument and sampling it? It's <laughs> like, mm, uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra, do you know them? It's like, well, you know, okay, there are like five different artists that you've picked there, but, the, you know, our stories are much broader than that. Um, so I guess it's, you know, we, we're not seeking permission, right? Mm. Um, but we work in organisations and industries that are not run by people of colour. Mm. Um, they're run by white people who have a very um, specific expectation and image of what an Asian or, uh, an, an Asian or person of colour's work should look like. I think the answer to that is just having continual conversations about it and presenting work and really pushing the envelope on those issues because that's the only way you kind of move mm. forward mm. to, I guess, 
get permission, which I hate using that word. Yeah. Um, and often you don't get permission. Yeah. yeah. Like Better Luck Tomorrow was kind of a flop at the cinemas. Mm. Well, yeah. the one that was such a success and we've spoken about it is All the Boys I've, I've All Loved the boys Before. All the Boys I've Loved Before. Yeah, that's a long mm. title. Right. I struggle with that one. I haven't mm. seen it personally, but I've watched the trailer and know about it and why read about dad, it. Why is the dad white? <laughs> that's a good question. But that's the thing, like... It's kind of, uh, that's a similar case as mm. Killing Eve in that that is mm. not an Asian story. The no. protagonist happens to be Asian. Mm. They never refer to her uh, ethnicity in the film. It's never brought yeah. up at all. Yeah. The author, when she was, I was reading about it, when she was trying to greenlight this film, she would be talking to executives and they just wouldn't be able to grasp the concept that why this character had to be Asian when there was no background information about why she was Asian. And she just found that baffling that she had to justify it, that well, why can't she just be mm. Asian? That yeah. is her and there doesn't need to be a background story to explain why she's in the position that she is now or why she's leading a story. Um, and I think, you know, reading that article, she really had to push and have those conversations with those high up people who were running those organisations, who are running those production companies and it got greenlighted and it yeah. happened. Mm. Yeah, being an Asian American girl dating white boys is is an Asian story, you know? It is an Asian story. It is an Asian story. And that's how it was marketed, like yeah. right. whether it was um, overtly or not, the fact that she was an Asian lead in a white dominated um, industry or part of the industry wherein most rom-coms and teen films are all white kids. Oh my god. That made them that got them to cut through. That's really powerful the, like actually. 13-year-old yeah. me watching that would have just felt so much yeah connection to it absolutely and mm. i i'm like so happy for anyone of that generation right yeah. now to be exposed to that yeah that you know your stories are being represented or if you didn't think that you could have that storyline you can absolutely mm. ying dian uh justin tam thank you so much for coming into chat on race matters thank, thank you, you so much your hair is looking great today always thank you race matters 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 race matters